Healthcare isn't just about managing diseases, and clinicians are more than vessels who can identify and treat these illnesses. There are a lot more you can do in this industry. In this episode, you'll hear five fundamentals that are leading organizational growth in medicine that you can adapt today. Private practice owners, it's time to change the status quo that's leaving us and our staff burned out and our patients dissatisfied because we don't have the time nor the energy to give them the care they deserve. Welcome to the Provider's Edge podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Rombach. I'm a surgical PA turned international peak performance keynote speaker and best-selling author. If you're ready to rewrite the rules for your own practice so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while delivering better patient care, then join us for inspiring interviews with thought leaders in the medical industry. Each week, we discuss improvements to operational efficiency, reducing provider fatigue, increasing access to meet patient expectations, and introducing the next generations of healthcare innovation. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. So for so many of us in healthcare, we probably were asked this question when we were applying to school, whether you're in medicine, PA, nursing, why do you even want to be in healthcare? And so many of us probably have said, I just love to help people. So there's a saying when you work in your passion that you don't feel like working at all. Do you truly believe in that statement? And that's why I brought Miss Patty here with us. And she has been an awesome person. We connected through a mutual friend. And she is a physician's assistant who is uh, responsible for the leading and development and implementation of business-aligned IT services to support population health activities for all populations, and including commercial Medicare, Medicaid patients. She's responsible for the IT initiatives and ventures for the Mount Sinai Health Network and Mount Sinai International, additionally from an informatic perspective. So for people who are advanced practitioners, Think about beyond clinical medicine, we can really fit ourselves into any particular place you wish to be. And she's also the president-elect of the New York Society of PAs. So let's find out and let's meet Patty. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Sabrina. How are you? Good. So how did your journey get here from these many different leadership, clinical medicine, and you've been around for quite a while? What truly intrigued you to be in this field? Yes, I have been around for a while. Time is flying for sure. But I've just always wanted to be in healthcare. And you're right. We always say that, right? You know, we all want to take care of people. But I actually really, really, really did in very many different ways. Medicine, I thought, was one of the best ways that I could, you know, just really be a caregiver, a provider, Um, you know, and I've always felt that way. I mean, if you ask my family, they'll say I was, you know, seven years old and I wanted to, you know, and for whatever reason, just 
take care of others. And so it, it was a very natural thing for me. And then I had younger brothers and sisters. So that was just a very natural way for me to continue. You know, I wanted to care for obviously my family, you know, my mom growing up in New York and my mom not speaking the language. You know, I always felt responsible for her. So that responsibility really kind of extended to just taking care of others that were in the same situation as I basically saw myself growing up. So it was just a natural extension to go into medicine. Yeah. And I think for many of us who weren't born in this country or even born with a family member who are not entirely speaking the language, I also had the same experience where you become the translator, you become the people they go back to. And when you are working as a clinician, somehow they think magically we just know everything, right? And then we take on the sense of responsibility for the whole family to coordinate care. And half the time, it is complicated. Even we're in this field, we don't know every single little details of how to even get to the right people, right? And even for us who are in hospital clinical practices, when we wanted to ask for that specialty, it you still sometimes have to jump through hoops. But we understand it is what it is. The main goal is getting that patient, whatever that person needs. So it's okay for us to be on call, be on the phone waiting for 20 minutes just so we can speak to someone. Exactly. And because of that experience, you know, when I became a PA um, and I worked in the emergency department, I naturally just saw my family, people that really needed that navigation through the lenses of, you know, not only my experience, but being in the emergency department, it was so daunting, so difficult to navigate for patients. And, you know, even now, 21 years later, it's still such a difficult, you know, industry to navigate, even when you're in it, you know, uh, whether it's your own family, whether it's your friends, you know, people look to you for those expertise. And sometimes, you know, um, it's difficult. So imagine other folks that either weren't born in this country or don't have the language or don't have the means or, you know, or, 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 right. So many different reasons. So when I worked in the emergency department initially, um, it definitely didn't feel like a job to your point. When you love something, you just, you know, I worked every day in the emergency department every day. I would do literally 14 days in a row and Every night I would go home and sleep and dream about it. And so I never left. I just loved it so much. But at some, you know, at one point, you know, I started asking myself questions, you know, how do I help a little bit from a broader perspective? How do I help the throughput, the patients and the providers and the nurses, you know, frustrations, especially in the emergency department? And I started to, you know, ask questions. I would go and speak with my boss all the time at at the time. And, you know, basically I figured out that I really needed to learn how to manage, learn about processes, learn things that, you know, we learn how to be PAs in PA school, but we don't really learn the business or the economics or how to actually get things moving from a broader perspective, from a project or a program perspective. So I went back to school and I went back to school and got my business degree. And I learned, unfortunately, healthcare is a business um, and you'd really needed to understand 
a lot of it so that you can have an impact. So that was basically the beginning of my journey into where I am today. Healthcare is complex. Even those who have good health literacy, like all of us who are listening to this show, it's still difficult to navigate. Recall the last time you tried to make an appointment for a patient, helped a family member to find a specialty for their specific concern, or explored new healthcare insurance coverage for a friend. How long did that take you? Did you find it difficult? These management processes, backend navigation, and business structures are difficult to comprehend. They were not part of our graduate school education. We can learn the hard way or enroll ourselves into a program like Patty did to uplevel our healthcare organizational intelligence. Where I am responsible for large initiatives at a, a very large healthcare system in New York. Correct. And we all get to the point where in school, we learn skills. No matter how early you started, thinking about even just high school, college, and going to grad school, we learn specific set of skills to be a logical thinker, to be able to do research, to have these medical knowledge that we gain so we can obtain the history from the patient and knowing what testings we might want to have and spill out a possible solution for them and, and also confirm our reasons in thinking this way. But we're not really good about thinking the whole picture. How did people even get to us? Once they get to us and they get this treatment, can they have the financial report? As a business itself, can we sustain it in a way that we can keep our door open to be able to serve our community, our population without going bankrupt? And think about where I graduated from, Drexel University, Hanman Hospital went bankrupt, right? Like it's, right. it's a huge hospital system and it can still be that way. And nevertheless, there's many people have created their own private practice. So how can you grow and sustain yourself when you have a specific set passion of how you want to treat your patient, what type of services you can provide when you see those gaps, right? It's not just simple of, I'm a provider, I have the knowledge, people come to me. There's so many more to that. And um, it goes beyond the clinical medicine part. It tap into how we build relationship with them. How do we build relationship with people we hire? Do we even hire the right people? So before the patient walks in, they feel connected and not just to say, I even have the same experience where I loved one of my docs and I would not go back to that office because the front staff and back staff, it just sucks, mm. right? And all of this, when you magnify that and quadruple that into a large hospital system, it's even more crucial. So, and then I believe that's where you felt the love. I, you loved clinical medicine in that emergency room area, people are so confused and you take them from that acuity to something that at least makes some sense whether they can go home or to be admitted. But that's just simply that skill part of us, but not the population health part. So that's when you go into get your MBAs and start leading this bigger initiative. Yes, exactly. It's definitely a balancing act. And, you know, not every organization has managed to balance it well. And I've been lucky enough to have worked at different organizations, always very mission-driven. You know, I work for the largest public health care system in the, in the country, which is New York City's Health and Hospitals. 
And there's been a lot of change over the last 10 years, even there. You know, it's still very mission driven. It's still very, you know, we will take care of everyone, whether insured or not. But they've had to change the way that they bill, for example, you know, because, you know, there's the no money, no mission saying that we all know very well. When I was finishing up my MBA, I actually worked in clinics within homeless shelters. And the final capstone project was actually based on creating a business plan for expanding the clinics within the homeless shelter to an actual clinic as well outside of the homeless shelter within the community that was able to provide services on a fee scale. This is not a new thing, but 15 years ago, it was a little bit of a, how do we do that? And, you know, that balancing act, and by the way, that those clinics and homeless shelters called the floating hospital, they're still around. They have the same CEO. A lot of the same people stay. A lot of the same people stay because they believe in that mission. But the balancing act between surviving just to take care of patients and actually being able to take care of patients and more. I saw it across different organizations from, again, health and hospitals to Montefiore, where I then worked, and then now at Mount Sinai. And, you know, again, every organization has a different culture, right? You know, organizational culture. And how do you make decisions as an organization? How do you grow? Obviously, always having the patient in the center of everything, but how do you actually provide those services? And how can you keep a standard across all these different types of patients? How can you keep your doors open and consistently growing your healthcare practices and organizations? No one likes to be in a situation of sink and swim. Change is critical. If you're willing to achieve something big in your life and in your career and in your community, you have to change and your organization have to change. Change is the new norm. Even hospital organizations need to improve their operation to become more competitive in this industry. Therefore, it is more crucial for private practices to be able to open to the nuances, new strategies, and adapt to change that fit into your specific culture. Therefore, it is a balancing act, and you have to know what is your culture. Over the years, many healthcare institutions have improved their operations to provide better patient care. The healthcare personnel must also collaborate with different organizations, teams, practices to find the areas where they can make a difference. Start from a community level of underserved patients like Paddy's situation, the Medicaid patients, to the high-level VIP donors who are supporting your clinics, you can make a difference. The sky is the limit. Take your first step today. And one of the reasons why I came to Mount Sinai uh, almost six years ago was because I was recruited to run the DISRIP program, which is basically population health for the Medicaid population. Again, from the technology aspect and the challenge there uh, was immense. You know, the, the state of New York had a lot of targets, difficult to meet targets for the population. They wanted to 
prevent admissions to the emergency department. They wanted to prevent readmissions. They wanted to make sure that patients who were seen, for example, in clinics had a follow-up within seven days, which is very difficult when your insurance isn't really top tier, right? And they wanted to, we wanted to make sure that patients who, for example, were getting antipsychotic medication, we were managing their, their diabetes, you know, the hemoglobin A1C. Again, not always easy with patients that, you know, move around a lot. And so the data was very important and coordinating that care was very important. And because of the investments from New York State for this particular program, we were able to really improve and prove that we improve the care for these patients with these targets and these, you know, the outcomes. And the program ended after five years. It ended about a year and a half ago. And the sustainability from it has been difficult to maintain because, again, the incentives that the state was providing are no longer there. So we had to really revamp things. You know, how do we make sure that we we continue to take care of these patients you know, that we can meet the patients where they are, that we, again, keep the standard the same, whether a patient has Medicaid or whether the patient has, you know, commercial insurance. And then again, to meet patients where they are, some patients, for example, you know, whether they're executives or they want to pay extra, you know, that we can meet those patients as well from a commercial standpoint. So, the balancing act, I don't think anyone has perfected it, but, you know, it is a work in progress for sure. Yes. And you're talking about balancing act, both from earlier on when you mentioned a provider can get fatigue, right? Emotionally fatigued from, do I just become a machine and then just doing the work to fix the issue for my patients? But somehow I took the emotional part out of it. And that also affect, I do believe for many people I spoke to, both from clients and colleagues, that when their family have got to that sick, they almost stop realizing how difficult it is for other family members to understand the whole situation, which has become in the mode of just simply solving things and trying to move forward. And that's the some of the parts of, should we really think bigger than just what we're doing today, right? Did I lose my true passion in this field? And I believe from a productivity, what I always talk about mental fitness standpoint and how people start getting too overwhelmed, it's not necessarily saying you don't understand why you work anymore. You start losing what is the end goal you even wanted to achieve. You start losing really the why as everything together, right? Like Simon Sinek's book, Star with Why. And yes, maybe we understood our why is helping people solving problems. But what is the bigger picture once we incorporate our own personal mission, our own idea of what financial intelligence, our career drive, our family, our social support, our spirituality. Do we start losing ourselves in the game of just being a clinician, being a healthcare professional? And then uh, and then how do we really connect to other people? Right. And it definitely is a challenging balance act if we stop asking ourselves these questions on a regular basis. You know, you're bringing me back to a time, again, back to the clinics and the homeless shelters. It was very difficult to keep that, again, a different type of balancing act 
between our own emotional stability as a provider to not take every single problem or issue from our patients. And again, patients who live in homeless shelters are have a lot of challenges. 50% of those patients have mental health issues. They make bad decisions or you know, they grow out of a foster system and they don't know any better. So there's, it's, it's very easy in a way to internalize a lot of this and then not be a good provider when you need to, you know, because the patients are still counting on you to, you know, make good decisions and help them through, you know, whatever they need uh, clinically. And then similarly, I worked in oncology as well, and I saw a lot of turnover for the obvious reasons in providers, again, how do you keep that balancing act from not taking that and internalizing it so much that you are now not serving the patient's needs or you're getting yourself sick or another extreme where now you are not being compassionate because you have put up a wall because that's the only way that you've learned how to be how to be able to do your job you know and so even there it's a balancing act and you know we talked about this before sabrina around there's career and then there's life goals and your career is part of your life goal and keeping your mental health and you know whether it's through fitness or spirituality or you know other passions or just include the passion of taking care of people, taking care of patients like myself and my wife, you know, we take care of animals. How do we kind of incorporate all of that so that you don't become so debilitated by what you're seeing and experiencing with patients sometimes so you can actually be there for them? That's such a good point is to understand life is intertwined, everything is connected. So when we are able to see beyond what are you doing right now for your career, because that's part of our identity, but it shouldn't be all of our identity. And there's so much more than just Patty, just Sabrina, just you who's listening, right? How we identify who we are as a person, what do we need? And then be honest about there's a multitude of us. Just because uh, we're a clinician, that doesn't mean that's the only thing we ever can be known for. And uh, even I believe for many people that I spoke to, people like yourself, me, and many other have, whether it's gone beyond clinical medicine, going to these leadership, scaling, right, practices, and it's possible, right? And it actually makes us to feel like, wow, I have these other areas in my life I'm devoted to. I can actually do a better job, better refresh, better set when I'm in this intensified medical field and make us in a really a better person and be more personable as we move forward in life. And do you believe that you felt that sense of that when you start getting your MBA, switching into these bigger leadership areas, you actually be more connected in who you are as a person, as a leader? Yes. Um, you know, it's funny. When I moved into technology, which again, was not in the plan, <laughs> but you have to be open to opportunities realized I was in, I was working in the clinical information systems department, again, at health and hospitals. And I realized that um, 
you know, I, I, I personally had a, a bit of a innate skill in managing people. Um, just, just because I, I like people, you, know, you have to like people first. Right. And I liked the responsibility. I liked, you know, to take on, you know, I wasn't afraid of challenges. However, one of the things that I learned early on is that, you know, you can have some innate abilities and innate skills and certain things can come natural to you, like, you know, some of the leadership characteristics, but you can also enhance them. You can also learn how to be a better leader. And I was very, very lucky. I've been very lucky with um, just being, uh, you know, groomed, I guess, in certain ways. Uh, when I was at health and hospitals, I was sent to a leadership course, I guess, as part of a, a you know, like the city agencies, you know, like I, I went to this leadership sessions, multiple sessions where there were, you know, representatives from the fire department and the police department and, you know, sanitation department. And I was there at, as an agency, health and hospitals agency. And we just, you know, we learned so much. We grew, we learned, you know, all the characteristics of leadership. And that was my first kind of you know, entry into, oh, you can actually learn. And also it was validating a lot of things that I had. I felt like this was the right thing to do. And then it was validating, you know, the things that felt natural to me. And being at Mount Sinai um, the last, you know, almost six years, again, fortunate enough to have been sent to a lot of leadership development classes, courses. Um, i I went to Harvard for a few days. I mean, I could actually say I went to Harvard for a few days. But, you know, to learn how to be a meta leader. And again, you have to be open to these things. Obviously, you know, we can always be better, whatever, better leaders, better clinicians. You know, we're always keeping up to uh, keeping up with new theories or just, you know, reading up. But it is I really strongly believe that it is one of those things that you really can learn how to be better. Right, because self-growth, um, realize, self-realization is really part of that core component of life. And just like Jim Quick, he, he is the big guy on Limitless, right? It doesn't really matter our age, our background, our brain can be very much trainable at any stage. It's not the old saying, oh, you can't train old dog tricks. Actually, I have friends who are advanced trainers and they can change even severe bad behaviors, right? And then so humans are even more advanced. We can really get to that higher level. Have you identified some of your innate skills? Some people are easier to recognize their weaknesses, but not so much into what they're truly good at. And once you're able to identify these inner skills, how can you further improve those? Dive deeper and become the best at those skills. Patty, in a sense, moved into healthcare technology unexpectedly and earned her MBA because she wanted to further understand the healthcare business processes to better help her organization. At the same time, she also found herself lucky to be able to enroll in various state and city level of leadership training to be able to connect with other entities that are supporting her community. She even felt validating through all these leadership development programs. 
we all know learning actually creating nuances in our life. In healthcare, we're so used to reading CME credit research papers and finding new ways to optimize how we treat patients. And therefore, your brain is so amazingly strong and limitless to learn new things no matter what your age or backgrounds are. You just need to have a determination to achieve something bigger in life and you can definitely make a difference. That goes into our self-advancement, peak performance as we have been talking on this show. Our growth is directly associated with the self-determination theory, which show higher self-awareness leading to more productivity. Therefore, we need to work on ourselves to put ourselves on the path where we can actually contribute to the healthcare industry in a more advanced way. Can you be a meta leader? And that really brought us to, I asked our speakers to do self-reflection because theory in psychology, the self-determination knows that if we know ourselves better, we're more persistent, more resilient and be able to perform higher. But if we start losing, just like when we mentioned earlier, we start losing our why, losing our aim, losing what we want, losing where we are. Now, of course, we can easily get complicated with our life and then be chaotic. So Patty, what did you thought? Anything that came to your head when you're taking the the whole life assessment or when you saw the wheel? So first of all, it was a really great exercise. And, you know, I already knew this about myself, but this really reinforced it. Uh, And I'm trying to be a lot more intentional about saying no. And, and I have a very hard time with it. And so I want to be everywhere. I want to help everyone. I want to be in every project. And I have a hard time saying no. And what ends up happening is that something always loses, right? And, you know, some of the things that, you know, and again, that wheel kind of reinforced it. For example, I didn't exercise for a couple of months. And you feel it, Right you know, because I didn't have the time because I had said yes to something else. Or I was, um, that was one. Or I haven't taken the time to actually think because I'm so busy doing, you know? And look, we're doers, right? A lot of us are doers. And I had a boss one time who he literally, every day he would set aside four hours to think. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of luxury that you have there. You're you're not really doing much, you know, spending four hours thinking, what are you thinking about? But, you know, I understand it more and more now to really take time to think, to think things through, to be selective, to prioritize. Um, I have not perfected it. I'm every day I struggle. I struggle with my calendar. You know, I struggle with two, three, four things at the same time and having to choose and thinking, how am I going to really improve that? It is probably the most difficult thing that I have to face and that I have to work on. Yeah, which is amazing realization because most people I even talk to, right? Like people who come to me is that phase of you're doing great things. You're doing so many things and you you don't even know how to increase the capacity anymore just because there's so much going on. And I love your boss's idea of blocking out 
time to think because the only when we're able to think, we can be more creative, innovative. And actually, there's only two to three hours in your day based on your own personal energy cycle that you have the most concentration and focus. And when people don't even know where these are, actually, we're allowing other people to distract us, to rob us our time, and it just goes away. And then we wonder, how come I done so much in a day, but I don't even know what I actually did, yes. right? <laughs> and that's the funny part of all of us when we feel like we're Superman and Superwoman. And then I'm so glad that you being able to join us. I know a lot of people must be really, especially PAs, uh, wanted to reach out to you on how they can expand into that higher level and not feeling like there are only can as much as go as the, a team lead, right? Chief can really go into that larger movement if they wanted to. So how can people reach out to you? Oh, I am very available. Um, I have an email. And, you know, if, if uh, you tell me, Sabrina, what's the best way, I can put my email out there. I've uh, One of the things that uh, I help do at Mount Sinai is we have a mentorship program. So I'm very big into mentoring, mentoring others, sponsoring. Obviously, there's a difference. I really want PAs to see every single type of opportunity there is out there. You know, obviously, you have to be a good clinician. And I've never stopped seeing patients. I still see patients to this day. Um, I had a full 12-hour shift yesterday. Um, and I love it, you know, and, um, and, but you have to be a good clinician, but that is really the springboard for so many different, I mean, again, I didn't plan to be in technology, but it, it, it doesn't have to be technology. It could be something completely, you know, different, different industry. I am definitely available. Uh, I'd love to chat with whoever has questions and, you know, just let me know how. Awesome. And then we'll drop um, Patty's email in our show notes. So you guys can reach out to her, chat with her. Without a doubt, we spend a lot of time serving our patients in the healthcare due to which we can't spare time for ourselves. We pay attention to the community side of how can we reduce hospitalization, ER visits, how can we increase patient access to care, what do we have to consider when people have very difficulty with health literacy and be able to actually seek care. Now, the five fundamentals that we talk about in this episode, I believe you can all connect with. Number one, change. How can we ask the right questions and learn about the processes, the business, the economy, and how to get things moving to the next level, how to find the right project for your practice, for your community, and then building the relationship with your patients so they continue to trust us and come back, and also building a awesome, amazing synergy with the rest of your team. Number two, lead. What type of program are you running that can be difficult, but worth your while? So you want to devote the time to create that specific roadmap for your community. Third, a balancing act. At the end, your personal goal and life goal are the same and can be connected, but not taking every single situation from our patients and from our environment thinking they're going against us, but being able to have that compassion and not losing that part of us and not feeling like you're always pushing against the wall, but finding the way that you can rejuvenate your own mind, your own self, and also for your team 
Now, fourth is your goal. What is the bigger part of who you are as a person, as a clinician, as a leader for your practice, for your organization? What does it really look like? Who do you want it to be known for in the next 10 to 20 years? When you are at your rockers, when you're 80, 90 years old, thinking back to your life, what do you want people to remember you for? And last but not least, growth. Be open about every single training and learning opportunities and actively seeking them out to be able to find your own inner strength and become an expert in those skills and think about how else you can optimize your whole organization. And because I know managing ourselves, our time properly is so important. At the end of the day, we have to figure out what fit us, our community, our culture the best, and we can become successful in that way. That's how we move healthcare forward. Believe me, you can do it. You just need to reach that higher level of self-realization where you can decide which area requires more attention. Really take an opportunity for those of you who has been looking into how do you step into those roles besides the nurses or doctors, um, really anybody can be. I know people who are PAs, MPs, uh, uh, pharmacists, people who really have the drive, you can get to wherever you want to go. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You're listening to me right now. Odds are you're frustrated by how healthcare practices are running today. I'm with you. I'm looking to change the conversation that we're having in this field. It starts with me and it starts with you. I want to connect with you and get to know your own struggle or challenges within the healthcare industry. Visit sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect where you are going to find all of my social media platforms feel free to send me a direct message. If you, like me, prefer speaking, then you can record a voice message on the page. Come to sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation. She really gets the conversation. She understands. She's an incredible listener. We were talking about worthiness and she really understands the concept of it, how it affects people in their businesses, in their clinics, in, in their daily life, in their relationships. So I just want to encourage you to one, listen to our show, but to jump on board and start listening to this woman because she has so much insight and wisdom that you don't want to miss out. Hi, this is Emmanuel Anthony, human behavioral speaker, researcher, writer, teacher, author, and consultant. I just had the amazing opportunity to connect with Sabrina on what I think is amongst one of the most professional podcasts that I've been on. Uh, Not only is her professionalism very high, but her understanding and her knowledge as well. Uh, Working with podcasters, sometimes I'm just being interviewed, which is perfectly fine because I'm there to share my knowledge. But this is one occasion where I can definitely say that the person that I was communicating with not only was receptive and understanding to the concepts that we were communicating in terms of business and mindset and growth, but she also had, was able to elaborate and expand on those concepts. Now, I've been doing this for 11 years. I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've spoken to a lot of people with a wealth of knowledge. It was very, very fulfilling and very nice to be able to communicate with somebody that not only had a plethora of knowledge, but could share that 
in a bite-sized and very easily understandable kind of way. Because it doesn't matter what kind of knowledge a person has if they can't communicate it to you. I've been speaking for the last 10, 15 years in hundreds of college campuses. Um, but to be able to speak to a peer, someone who uh, I can see eye to eye with on the same level, it becomes a conversation. Uh, I'm not talking to an audience, I'm talking to a friend or someone that I felt like I should have met 10, 15 years ago, um, but you know, better late than never. Here I am right now to be able to just know that I'm not alone in my thoughts, uh, to know that there are other people out there who have reached the similar conclusions that I have with completely wayward and different life paths. To know that uh, there are people like us out there who believe that you can do not just option A or option B, but to do both. You can have both, that you can have cake and eat it too without hurting other people. There's an ethical ability that one may have when they channel their empathy to reach people and to have them go far together. I'm Christine Nguyen, I'm a family physician and um, the founder of the White Coat Romance, a dating app and development for um, healthcare professionals um, and the larger community of White Coat professionals. And I have the honor of being a guest on the um, powerful and passionate healthcare professionals podcast as hosted by the wonderful and lovely Sabrina Renbrack, whom is so empowering. Um, I love her energy. I love all the work that she's doing to support healthcare professionals. And we had just a blast, like talking about um, all the things that are relevant um, in our community and all the work that we're doing. And I love uh, listening to all of her podcasts and all the guests that she's interviewing um, and all the great work that they're doing. And it's just so inspiring. Um, her energy is infectious. And I love um, that she is constantly uplifting this community. So I encourage that everybody go out there and go check out her podcast. I would go ahead and binge on all the episodes like I did and you won't regret it. Take out your phone, type in sabrinarumbach.com forward slash connect and let's have a conversation. I would love to hear your story.